Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to the Generators Podcast, episode 64, uh, presented by the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. Happy to be uh, joining those guys. And uh, what's going on? How are you? Does this find you well? Are you good? Are you safe? I hope you are. Um, I am recording this uh, this episode from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth, and Sunday, as I normally do uh, these uh, intros and outros. And um, yeah, it's a uh, been an interesting time here in Nova Scotia because they have gone into a second wave of lockdown here. I guess after numbers were pretty good with the whole Atlantic bubble situation. Now there's a few more cases and uh, Nova Scotia is not messing around. They're like, we're shutting it down. So restaurants are closed. Bars are closed. I think you can get um, pickup service, pick up at the door or delivery at a lot of restaurants. And um, but bars are closed. Um Coffee shops are still open, I think, but I don't think you can go in there and sit down. You got to take it and go. And uh, yeah, they ain't messing around here. I mean, statistically, uh, the numbers in Atlantic Canada are far less than anywhere else uh, pretty much in the world. But uh, yeah, they don't want numbers growing here. And um, that's the way it is. So for us at 22, we still shot and stuck to our stick, strict COVID protocol. And uh we have one show left, which we record. By the time you hear this, we'll have recorded it for our last one for 2020. So uh, then I am on a holiday, get a bit of a break for a while, but I'm uh, going to keep the, uh, the podcast episodes coming. And I'm glad you folks are listening and enjoying them. Thanks for all the feedback. And I uh, got some more great guests coming to you. Um, yeah, that was my week, man. Just kind of dealing with that, cranking out a bunch of sketches. We had two 12 hour days of shooting, uh, which was long. And, uh, so I was pretty, uh, wiped out at the end of the week. And I realized, you know, I'm getting old, you know, I, mean, I remember when I was 21, 22, I mean, didn't need much sleep. I mean, you know, you got up, you functioned, you did what you had to do. And now I'm like, I look for sleep when I can trying to find it whenever I can, you know, I want to go to bed. I'm like, God, it's gotta be Geez, what is it, 2 o'clock in the morning? It's like, no, it's quarter after 9 p.m. That's what time it is. Anybody else out there, you're at that age now where you have no gauge of what time it is anymore. It always feels way later than it is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what, what happens there for us. But uh, that's where I'm at in my life. So that's that's nice. That's pleasurable. And... Um, yeah, I guess a lot of folks now are coming to terms with not getting home for the holidays, Christmas, and it sucks. I get it. Um, for a lot of folks, they've had to cancel plans or won't be able to be around loved ones. And that's tough, man, for anybody. For me, I've decided the best thing to do is just accept this reality as quick as I can. I can't change it. I was planning to go back to Newfoundland as well. and um, But now I'll be staying in Halifax, it looks like. And um you know, the quicker you can accept the reality of what it is, of what's going on in the world, and then just adjusting to it, I think the better off we are. And that's kind of been my approach is that rather than bitching and moaning about it and lamenting about how it was supposed to be, it's like, okay, look, this is the way it is, accepting it and moving on and making the best of, uh, of the situation. So that's what I'm, that's my attack. That's my plan. And um, 
I think it's just a little easier to deal with when you just let it in and accept it. So that's what I've been doing. I don't know what you guys are doing out there, how you're coping, but uh, that's what I've decided to do. So um, it's working for me thus far. Halifax right now, still kind of fall like weather, but like there's no snow. Um, there's some Christmas lights up and people are decorating, but like it's just green grass. And uh, I wouldn't say it's warm, warm, but it's, you know, it's it's late fall weather here. And uh, I don't think you can complain about that. So uh, I know snow will be coming at some point. I don't know if we'll have any for Christmas. Who knows? Maybe it'll be like a Hallmark movie and magically snow will just appear Christmas morning. My God, some of these Hallmark movies. I mean, this is. I mean, they're not even trying in some of these. You know, I just want to see a Hallmark movie. Where the couple doesn't get together at the end of it, you know? Or a Hallmark movie where shit doesn't work out. Because that's life sometimes. Sometimes life doesn't work out. Where's that one? Where is that movie? You know? They're going to get together. They're starting to, you know, they feel like there's a bit of a romance thing. Then she finds out he's got a gambling problem, you know, and it just doesn't end up. And that's it. They have separate Christmases. She feels she's better off without him. And that's it. Cue the snow and it starts coming down, but they're, they're eating Christmas dinners alone. Let's be honest. You know, can we have some reality, some real Hallmark movies, you know, stop lying to the people. Haven't we been lied to enough by politicians and social media and every other entity? Can we just get some, some honesty and truth through our through our Hallmark movies? Is that too much to ask? Uh, maybe it is. Um, all right, enough of this rambling. I'm going to set up uh, this week's episode. My guest this week is Christine Gowdy, who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Granville Biomedical and also happens to be my girlfriend. Um, so um, I always thought she'd be an amazing guest. She's had such an incredible career and had quite a journey uh, to this point with her company and even you know getting to this point of starting her company. And um, they make uh, anatomical models for women's health and now have also pivoted into swabs for COVID testing. And um, yeah, just as an entrepreneur, she's got some great insight. And as I said, has had an incredible road and journey thus far. And uh, we have a great conversation. And even though I know her very, very well, I still learned a ton in this conversation. And, uh, I think you will too. I think there's a lot of great stuff in here for, for people who are, who are looking to do their own thing and are a little nervous about it, or just anyone who has an interest in creativity in general, I think you'll really, really enjoy this episode. So anyway, enough of my rambling. And, uh, here's my chat with Christine Gowdy. All right, we have uh, started the podcast here this evening with Christine Gowdy. Obviously, big week for you. Why don't you tell the folks what happened this week? Don't be modest. Tell the folks what happened this week. Uh, well, I pitched at Volta's pitch competition here in Halifax. And I was the lucky recipient, one of five winners of $25,000. $25,000. So I didn't know what an accelerator program was. Explain to folks what 
an accelerator program is for people who are not business types like myself who don't know? Um, an accelerator program is kind of like an incubator. So you get mentors and a lot of leadership um, so you can grow your business and scale mm-hmm. it. I think without that, you're just kind of left to figure things out by yourself. But an accelerator kind of puts you on the right path and shows you how you can grow your company in the shortest timeline. Period. Right. Yeah. Because one of the things like that you and I have talked about before is that lots of people have an idea for a business, but if you don't know how to communicate what that business idea is in a way that's, I guess, number one, understandable for people, like it's clear, but also in a way that has like conviction and energy behind it, then it's almost useless. Like the idea on its own is not, is not worth much. It's a lot of it is up to the person who's selling the idea or pitching the idea. Um, but you're comfortable doing that stuff. Why? It seems like you're comfortable doing it. Why are you so comfortable doing it? Um, you know, I think it's practice and I think that you get used to it pretty quick when it's your company. Um, there's something to be said too about CEOs with an X factor Mm -hmm. and that X factor is kind of this intangible essence or, or feeling that someone, uh, emanates that is just kind of confidence matched with conviction. And I think that's, you know, like, just like anybody else, I mean, in the beginning, it takes a while to figure out how to pitch your company and explain it so that everybody understands what it is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you do it enough and you have to tell enough people, uh, eventually it becomes pretty natural. Right. You know, and it seems organic. It's funny because in entertainment, like if people have an idea for a show or, um, you get so married to it sometimes that like, you don't, you just know it. So you think like, well, when I relay this to somebody else who's a stranger, that it all just makes sense. But you forget that this person is hearing this thing for the first time. And you're so in it that you sometimes forget that like, oh yeah, you haven't been on this journey from like two years ago when I got to this point to have this idea at this juncture in the road. And I used to remember that too. When I was writing down ideas for shows, I was like, oh yeah, I, I need to start from scratch to explain to this other stranger what this thing is about. Was that the same for you? Like with your business that you had to kind of like go back to square one and go back to the actual root basis of what Granville Biomedical is about and what you're doing because you're a million steps ahead from where you started. Do you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like you have to really hone your elevator pitch. Right. And an elevator pitch is just that. Like you need to be able to explain the essence of what your company is and what you do in 11 seconds. And so there, there's no room for jargon or, you know, fancy, fancy terminology. Like you have to be able to explain it in layman's terms mm-hmm. because just imagine you're in an elevator with a bunch of strangers and someone says, Oh, what do you do? And you say, Oh, well, you know, if you, if you kind of deliver that at, you know, in the most complex way, people just won't have any interest in even learning more about it. Right. But if you explain it in the simplest terms, the people that want to learn more will ask more questions, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of, that's a skill and it's something that can be learned too. But, um, you know, that's where you need to get to. You need to be able to explain things in such a a simplistic way that no matter who you're talking to, they get it because chances are the investors that you're pitching to at any point, they're probably not in your field. Right. So if you think about someone in healthcare 
and they're pitching a very complex healthcare topic to a room of investors. I mean, how many doctors are investors that would be in that room, right? Right. Chances are they might be general business people or other entrepreneurs. They, they might just be, you know, very um, advanced in some sort of financial aspect uh, of business. But if you lose them with your explanation, then you're kind of defeating the purpose of describing your company to someone. Right. You know, you'd be able to relay it to like the, just the person in the street that has no background, no knowledge whatsoever of what your field is or what you're doing. Yeah. And in a quick amount of time, be able to get them to on board. So what is the origin of Granville Biomedical? When did you come up with the idea? What what led to it starting in the first place? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of disparity in healthcare in terms of women's health and women have traditionally not always been included in a lot of healthcare research because in a lot of clinical trials, they've been conducted on men. Um, and, you know, there was a purpose for that back in the day. And that involved, you know, women were higher risk because, you know, the reproductive system and things like that. Mm -hmm. So women traditionally were left out of a lot of research, which means a lot of products that are on the market now were designed for men. So myself and my co-founder, who I met on a medical outreach mission in Bangladesh in 2018, she's a registered nurse. And her and I talked a lot about that. Like, why is that? And like, how can we change that? And what can we do to change that? Which was kind of interesting. And, you know, my background was in industrial design and product design and hers was in healthcare. And so together, that's a pretty powerful thing, right? Like she, she's coming up with ideas and coming to me with issues and you know, problems in healthcare and women's health. And I was the person who had solutions mm -hmm. for those problems. Cause to me, it's pretty intuitive to say, okay, well, what's the problem and let's create that, that solution using creativity. So I was doing a lot of 3d printing and conceptually designing medical devices and all the problems that her and I talked about seemed like they had a solution. Mm -hmm. Right. So advancing the innovation happening in women's health, 3D printing prototypes of new types of medical devices, and just simple things like how do you demonstrate the insertion of a tampon to young girls? How do you demonstrate the placement of an IUD to women of all ages? Mm -hmm. And like things that are so simple just don't exist. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because if you go to your doctor and you say, well, you know, what is an IUD? And like, where does that go? And where does that sit in my body? Like, this is an invasive medical device. And quite often your doctor will sketch something on a piece of paper or, you know, describe it verbally, but you're left walking away like, what? Like, I don't really understand what that means for my body. What are those risks and what does that look like? Um, so just that alone, Crystal, my, my co-founder and I decided, like, let's just do something about it. Mm hmm. And, you know, we hear so many people talking about like, let's advance women's health and let's make a difference and let's, you know, innovate these things. But we don't see a lot of people doing it. We don't see like execution and action. Right. And so if anything could be said about me is that I'm a doer. So the more her and I talked about that, we were just like, yeah, you know what? Let's just like, let's just kind of take a shot at this and start a company and, and it was my, it was my idea at first to like start a company based around that. But, you know, how do you pick one topic in women's health and tackle that? It's a right. very broad, yeah. a broad a area, right? Cover, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we just decided to, to tackle the simulation piece and, you know, how do we make anatomical models that people can hold in their hands and, 
and actually show them and demonstrate medical devices, demonstrate procedures and 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 things in women's health that right now are just shrouded in mystery. And I just find that so funny because if it's, you know, I always say if this was a man's, if this was a, a, an issue in men's health, so say if this was something to do with the the penis or or whatever, I mean, you wouldn't be demonstrating things on a paper towel holder right? <laughs> yeah, or like right. a hot dog. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what they're doing. Like still to this day in, in women's health, they're um, learning how to suture lacerations that occur during childbirth on cow tongues and car washing sponges. To simulate the female genitalia. Which will be the name of my book, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my future book. Um, but yeah, like, like how crazy is that? So, you know, the more you think about how ridiculous that is and the fact that no one um, in an economical, realistic way or do anything about it, it's like, well, like hell, like let's do something about it. Anyway, so that was two years ago and her and I just we just pulled the trigger and, you know, I launched this company and she made the first investment and I brought her in as co-founder and uh, we were just like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? What we fail. Right. But nothing's been done to begin with. So is that really a failure? Like it's, it's still advancing yeah. and taking steps in the right direction. So her and I like fast forward two years later and we're touching countries like, west africa with our work and we're doing things like that touch parts of um you know all over the u.s our new customers are coming out of ireland uh we're creating a bit of a movement because now it's like the momentum is built and i feel like we're just kind of running with this snowball that we started off with that was so small like picture a timbit and now suddenly it's the size of like pluto and like we can't slow it down anymore yeah. So we've built something. It's like we've created a monster in off. a good way. And we're just excited about what's coming next. It's crazy too, because I find like with anything with regards to innovation, we just accept that things are a certain way, you know, like we don't quite often in life, we just don't pause to go like, Oh yeah. Like why, why is that done that way? Or, and it's the people who question that and then do something about it that make the difference. Whereas most people will quest, some people will question it, but they have no intentions of actually doing anything to kind of actually change what the current reality is. But you guys are like, no, we're actually, we've, we've noticed this and we actually are going to do something to change it. You know, like, yeah, because I mean, like people do that. People love to sit back and, and comment on things they, sh they think should be improved in the world. And, you know, issues in healthcare and people love being, you know, critical about what's out there in our built environment, but no one does shit about it. Like people just kind of sit back and just make commentary about it. That's great. But like, you know, what if you just kind of kick things up a notch and find someone that can fix some of the things that you complain about on a daily basis? Like, God, I wish, you know, there was a solution for, I don't know, whatever it could be like, how come chairs are never the right height for desks and offices or whatever, like simple mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I started really creatively problem solving in healthcare because um, in my undergrad uh, way back in the day, uh, I started looking at issues in design for disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why are people not fixing wheelchair seating? So that wheelchair users are not developing life-threatening pressure ulcers. I was like, what's up with that? Like, how come these big companies that monopolize that space are still creating products that create healthcare issues? Right. 
and everyone's afraid to touch those industries because of liability and, oh, I'm not qualified to design for that space. But it's like, well, if no one's qualified to design for that space and people are scared of liabilities, then who's going to change stuff, right? Like right. who's going to actually innovate things and how are things ever going to advance? And so I, I went really deep down that rabbit hole where I was like, Frey, like I'm going to. I'm going to innovate wheelchair seating, mm -hmm. the most random of things in the world. Right. And, and that goes back to um, a conversation I had out in Calgary, 2006. And I remember I went out for, for drinks with some friends and I said, what over beers, they said, Oh, you're going back to school. I said, yeah, I have a, a final semester at university to finish my degree. And one of the guys says to me, well, what are you studying? I said, design. He said, what kind of design? I said, product design. And he goes, oh, cool. Well, if you're a product designer, why don't you design stuff that makes a difference? And I was like, what does that mean? Like, that's kind of heavy over mm -hmm. beers. Like, yeah. easy there, Tiger. Relax, man. Yeah, yeah. just settle down. And he says, uh, he's a, well, I work with, with kids who use wheelchairs. And, you know, the amount of pressure ulcers we see in the clinic is 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 mind blowing. And, you know, how come people don't design products that address that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And literally that conversation was enough to light a fire in my soul and be like, what? Like, I couldn't stop thinking about that comment. Yeah. Like it was so random, but it was so relevant. It was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And he, oh, and he also said to me, like, don't go back to school and design stupid shit like the next you know smartphone or back mm -hmm. then it wasn't even smartphones it was yeah, just like it was a phone mediocre <laughs> yeah, flip, exactly. flip phones and a lighter um, phone. i still remember this guy's name like i still remember him so well and um it's funny because he kind of launched me into that space of creatively problem solving healthcare products mm -hmm. one conversation in yeah. a bar in calgary 2006 i came back to halifax and i was like I'm going to change some stuff. Right. I'm going to make a difference now because I feel like sometimes it just takes one person to kind of challenge your thinking or challenge what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're, you know, prone to, you know, liking challenges and if you're competitive and I'm both of those things always have been, I came back on a mission. I went to my school and I was like, you know what, guys, like I want to do an independent study for my final semester and I want to actually solve this wheelchair seating issue that I learned about. Mm -hmm. They just thought I was on drugs. They were like, what are you like? What is happening? Right. <laughs> Why do you want to solve right. wheelchair seating? Like, what is the? Do you know somebody in a wheelchair? Like and I said, no, I don't. Because it was such a niche problem you're trying to solve. They didn't even thought about that before. It was like, yeah. who even thinks about that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like people in school and product design, you know, they wanted to design cool stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like they want to design products and, you know, architecture and mm, I don't know, like furniture and stuff like that. And that's cool too. Um, but I, I explained to them, like I found out about this healthcare issue and I'm, I was already obsessed with like the human body and anatomy. And I almost feel like I kind of in a weird way, didn't know how to combine that with design. And, and I think that was the beginning of my path to figure that out and merge right. those two and uh anyways they approved my big crazy proposal of like let me do this independent study into wheelchair seating and how i can fix it mm -hmm. and <laughs> they ended up approving me i decided that if they put their trust in me to design my own course to finish my degree with i was going to blow them out of the water 
Right. I was like, I won't just design a wheelchair seat. I'll design something like the highest level possible. And I created this product called Adapt Wheelchair Seating Solution. And I worked with, um, you know, some people here in Halifax from the Paraplegic Wheelchair Society. And there was like a, a lot of people that came in as stakeholders that were really interested. And I started shadowing. I just reached out to this guy that I found in Halifax. Mm-hmm. He was a wheelchair seating specialist at the QE2 hospital. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to him back then. Like it wasn't as easy to look people up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was a little trickier to like connect to find with folks. people. There was no like. I don't even think LinkedIn was a thing back then, right? I think Facebook wasn't even a thing. Right. So I'm like, I can't remember how I found this guy. But anyways, I contacted him. He was an older guy at the time. And he invited me to come work with him and learn from him in his wheelchair seating workshop at the QE2 hospital. And so I would march over there. I didn't have a car. I was like hoofing it on foot every day with all my supplies and my backpack and my laptop. And I would go over there every time he invited me and I would trot over there and work with him as long as he'd have me there. Crazy. And I created this really cool custom wheelchair seating solution. And that kind of launched my, my medical device career, I guess. So you already, like you had the natural curiosity to try and want to solve certain problems, but I think in order to be, to obviously to go into business, you got to want to also have some business acumen as well like you like you want did you early on decide that i don't want to work for anybody else like i just want to go do my own thing blaze my own trail because i think lots of people have ideas but they don't have that that other thing which is like hey you're going to run a business now we already have that creative side and you have that stuff and you know how to solve those problems and that's going to be the business that you're going to go into but now you have to know the business side of it like what was that like stepping into that world to be like now i'm a business person suddenly Yeah. Well, you know what? I always say to this day, like I, I didn't train to be an entrepreneur. Like I've always been an entrepreneur, if that makes any sense. And I really feel like true entrepreneurs, they feel the same way. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've been very uncomfortable working for other people, almost like wearing a pair of shoes that are too tight. You know what I mean? Like just a bad fit. Like it just doesn't, you're uncomfortable. Yeah. And when your shoes are too tight, everything sucks. You cannot wait to take those off. (laughs) You're just like, get them off and start rubbing your feet. Yeah. So like it was painful for me to work for other people because I found holes and issues in their businesses and how I I just saw how they were lacking creativity and how they innovated their companies or their processes. They could excel and make more money. And I was so young that I never had the confidence or, you know, even just the competency to figure out how to actually approach people and help fix their companies. But I just knew if I did it myself that I could figure it out. Right. And I could just do that myself. So so I took a big risk in 2009. I started my first company. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just came so natural. Yeah. I didn't know everything. But I think when you're when you're driven by purpose and you feel like you found your passion, I think the business side, you know what? It's not easy to figure out, but you're willing to figure it out. Right. And you will you will source and 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 contact people that can help you. You'll do anything to make sure you stay self-employed. Yeah. And if that means if that means going from working, uh, you know, 40 hours a week for someone else to 60 hours a week for yourself, you'll do it. Right. Or cutting costs or something, how you're living or whatever. You'll just do whatever you got to do. Yeah. 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 I found like too, like in the comedy world or entertainment world, 
the thing that I was willing to do was like, I will take a bunch of hits. Like I I'm willing to fail and I won't let that be like, okay, that failed. That was it. That was my last time trying to do something on my own. I, I was almost prepared for, oh, I assume this isn't going to work out of the gates. Like I didn't have the the living in dreamland of like the first thing I go into will be amazing and all my shows will sell out. It's like I was willing to take the hits. And I feel like a lot of people, especially people who are creative, they're fearful of that. Well, what if I do follow this thing that I'm so passionate about, but it fails out of the gate? They don't have the resilience to just dust off and go again. Did you know you had that resilience already? Like if this doesn't work and there's struggle out of the gate, will I be able to pick myself up and dust myself off and just keep going? Or did you have to like kind of learn that over time? I I didn't even think that far ahead. Right. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I finally broke free of those chains of working for other people, um, I was only a year and a half out of university at that point. Mm -hmm. And I just... I didn't have to know the whole picture. It's like that, you know, age old adage that you and I always talk about that. I didn't have to see all the rungs on the ladder. I just had to see the first one. Right. And I think if you've got a passion and a purpose, that's all you need to see to motivate you to like stay on your own and keep going. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Right. Because once you get a taste of what it feels like to be in your flow state in your career and what you're meant to be doing, um, you don't need to see the whole ladder. You're just Mm -hmm. grateful for that first, that you can see that first rung of the ladder or that first step or whatever. And, um, and that's all it took for me is like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I would rather figure it out, like scrape by. I don't care if I have to eat like oatmeal every day for every meal for the next two years. If it means I can be self-employed and be on my own Mm -hmm. and, and, and play this game by myself and not work for someone else, I'll do it. Yeah. But I've always been that person who I will do whatever it takes. Like I've never been the person who like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, relax and help get someone else to help me and someone else can pay my way or I'll figure out, you know, like I've just always wanted to do it on my own. And um, and I'm willing to to go through that hustle and struggle because to me it's worth it. Yeah. I felt like when I when I have to do my own stuff or become a comedian in general. I always felt like if I can just do this for a living, I don't even know what money I'll make or not make or fame. I didn't care about any of that shit. I was just like, if I don't have to go to a day job every single day and I get to do this for a living, I win. Like, I don't know what the rest of it even looks like. I don't even know where I live or what I'm driving. I didn't even care. I just thought like, oh, I don't have to listen to anybody else. I just get to do, make people laugh and go around and travel. I'm like, I win. Like I didn't have any kind of set dollar amounts or any of that like and you tell other people that who aren't either entrepreneurs or in the creative world in some capacity they're just like that's insane like how did you and i'm like that's all i was following was just that vibe yeah well there's something about when you when you figure out your purpose or whatever that passion is that there's a there's a motivator in that every day when you wake up that you don't want to be lazy Mm-hmm. You don't want to take a day off because you love it. Yeah. Because you figured out something you love. Like what's better than that? And yeah. there's nothing in my life that would motivate me that that motivates me more than that. Like working for myself, building something that's never existed, making a difference, affecting change, impacting healthcare, impacting design. Also like being a woman in tech and a woman in entrepreneur, female entrepreneur. Um it's that's a power move you know what i mean like in a world where like that's still uncommon which is so sad but we're working on changing that 
Um, like that, that's also kind of ballsy. Like even when I was 29 and I started my first company, like thinking back on it, like shit, I was living in a male dominated space of design and I don't know. I just, I can't believe look, looking back, I was, I've always been so brazen and so bold. And I almost feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be mm-hmm. like, just to take that first step, you have to just not care anymore what people think. Yeah. Whether you're a comedian or an actor or a designer or whatever. Um, you just have to like finally let go of that, those handcuffs of what will people think? Yeah. And that's scary. And I think that's where like a lot of people just, that's that jump that a lot of people don't want to take because like, well, what then? And what if you fail? And like the fear of failure is a real thing. But when you stop fearing failure, it's like you're free. Yeah, true. I found too, I don't know if you relate to this. I got to a point where I was like, just tired of asking for permission to do stuff. Like I'm submitting and hoping I get this thing from this group and I'm hoping this place chooses me and i hope this festival chooses me and i hope whatever after a while i was like i just don't want to try and be chosen all the time i just want to do my own thing i don't want to have to ask permission to anyone and i think when people get really sick of that i think that really pushes you into your own lane to do your own thing like i was just like i don't this is just a choice to go down this road and do things this way, the way everyone else is doing it, but I can choose another road. It'll be more difficult and it'll be more grind and failure and I'll risk and lose and there'll be heartbreak, but I'd rather do it that way than just constantly trying to have to ask permission to like, and meet their criteria and their standards. It's like, I just, I just don't want to have to live that way. Like, did you, do you relate to that at all? Like in terms of, I just want to do shit my way. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. In the early stages of having my own business, I still felt like I had to be, you know, extremely, uh, I don't know, just thoughtful and prepared in everything I did. And very same as you, like asking permission and asking, just tiptoeing around and, and not really kind of owning what I was doing and afraid, you know, I might lose clients or not pick up clients if I acted a certain way or if I was just myself in meetings. And it's funny because after a while, I just feel like, I don't know, I think it just takes time, right? Like in your life, you just finally like step into yourself and you start owning who you are. And Mm -hmm. I think there's power in that. Like you and I talked about before, Um, when you stop asking permission, you just start doing and creating that energy attracts other people. Yeah. And like people will rally around you when you are unapologetically pursuing something that you're passionate about. So if you approach something with conviction, like Crystal and I right now, like with this company, right? Women's health, like it's a bold venture. This is what people call it sometimes. They, they describe yes. us as a bold venture. I was yeah. like, I don't know. Like, sure. That sounds kind of cool. Sure. Call it bold. But I mean, really, it's just necessary. But I guess it is because at the end of the day, um, as you know, like we create vaginal models. Right. Like who creates vaginal models and makes a company out of it? You know what I mean? And I don't look at it as, as bold or, or risky. I feel like, no, this is something that we should have been used to a very long time ago. So I, so just from that, we didn't ask the world permission. Like, is everyone going to be comfortable if this little company out of Newfoundland launches a women's health company making vaginal? We didn't care. Right. We knew, we actually knew it was going to make people uncomfortable, Right. but we just decided to, you know, start running in the direction of, you know, 
that we thought would, would, would bring us the most success. And we didn't care who followed, but we knew the right people would rally around us. Right. And, you know, there's always going to be critics, no matter what you do, there's always going to be naysayers and, and whatever else, but you can't worry about that. And, yeah. and we've stopped asking permission. We've stopped asking if things are going to make people uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we, if we, we don't, when we do radio spots, like I do all the, the media relations interviews and whatever. And I don't even ask permission. Like, can I use the word vagina on your podcast? I don't ask permission. You can, (laughs) by the way, that's totally fine. Vagina. It's been, so, uh, but yeah, like, you know, I don't ask permission anymore. Cause why? Yeah. You already know what we do. It's a word. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've stopped asking permission on everything and we we're just creating now we're creating from a very, um, you know, I guess creative, we're creating from a, a place of necessity. Right. And I think that eliminates us from having to, to tiptoe around. Right. You know, we're just, we're bravely just kind of forging this path. Yeah. Monopologetically, like this is what we're doing. And if you're on board, great. And if you're not great. So, um, a few episodes back, uh, I had a comedian and writer, Sophie Buttle was on the podcast and she writes for our show at 22 and she's a great stand up comedian. And I asked her about, being a female in the entertainment business and what that journey has been like. And so she was very honest about it. And she had an interesting take on stand-up comedians and women in stand-up comedy. And she thought her perspective was she thinks just as many women start stand-up comedy as men, but women don't find the support when they start. And so they just gradually get weeded out that they just go like, okay, I'm not, this is not a enjoyable environment. I don't find it supportive. I don't find it healthy. I find it rather toxic and women just go slowly out. Now, some stick it out and are willing to put up with all this shit and the, you know, mansplaining and all the shit women have to deal with in that world. Do you think the same is true for like women in tech? Like, do as many women have like ideas and business ideas and they also feel like, yeah, I just don't feel, see a lane for me to do my thing. Would you say that's the same or is it different? hundred percent because I know women who started companies a few years ago or tried to start companies. They just couldn't find financial support, moral support, leadership. They just couldn't find pathways to follow. They, you know, it, it's hard to forge your own path. Mm. And as a woman, you know, and you're, you're playing in this male dominated space and world. I mean, if no one's kind of carved out a path for you to follow, that's tricky, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people find that these days. Um, But yeah, you know, I didn't really have many female leaders or mentors when I started out. Right. That was tricky. I'm a different breed though. (laughs) Like I'm a very unusual cat because I don't need someone to carve out a path for me. I kind of find an energy from, from doing shit that someone else didn't do. Right. And like you and I talked about this not too long ago, but there's kind of a, I can't remember my exact words at the time, but I said like, there's kind of a beauty and a torture that goes with that. Right. You know, the torture is you don't know anything you're just trying to figure stuff out. It's like you're just blindly trying to navigate a path that's like very deep in the woods and it's full of wild animals. Yeah. The beauty is no one's done it before. So there's no right or wrong way. Yeah. 
right? So you can just keep making choices, educated choices every step of the way, and you're not going to make a wrong decision necessarily. Right. You might take a wrong turn temporarily, but you can readjust your course. But, but it's an agonizing, scary thing for a lot of people. But yeah, a lot of women, you know, I, I, I said on a, or in an interview not too long ago that sometimes another woman, especially in the tech business or an entrepreneur, you just need to see someone that looks kind of like you. If you see, and that goes for like, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. If you see someone that kind of looks like you doing what you want to do, sometimes that's enough motivation to be like, oh, damn, I can do that too. Yeah. 100%. If she can do it, then that gives you the confidence. Oh, okay, well, maybe I can even reach out to her or whatever. And, and you and I talk about this having to do with race as well. Sometimes yeah. you feel like, well, I don't see any women that look like me or, or, or comics that look like you or whatever when you're younger. Yeah. And it's a scary world when everyone doing what you want to do do not look like you. Yeah, yeah. When every CEO is 65 years old with gray hair, you know, that's not me. I'm this little girl from Newfoundland who has a big dream and, you know, a lot of courage. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty scary thing. But um, I just figure, you know, right now, Crystal and I and anybody like us have an opportunity to set the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, there have been lots of women that came before us. And the thing is, we didn't even, we didn't see them until people started introducing us to them when we started the company. So I feel like it's almost like an underground thing where there's all these women who, who have done a lot of stuff, right. but their, their profiles haven't been elevated to a point where we could find them easily or contact them or get mentorship from them. Right. And so now, like, it's just funny because it's like a can of worms we opened. So now we start this company of women's health and now we're seeing issues in like, you know, a lack of female leadership and mentorship and and female entrepreneurs. So now we want to try and fill that void, too. Like, well, how can we, you know, help people that are coming after us and create, you know, a CEO roundtable of female entrepreneurs coming out of Atlantic Canada or Canada in general, and just start solving a whole bunch of problems at once. You know, we're yeah. just like throwing a whole bunch of balls at the wall and like, which ones are going to stick? Like, let's hope a bunch of them stick because I feel like we have a chance to do a lot of cool stuff right now. It's wild too, because I, I feel like I've only woken up to what the female journey has been over the last couple of years, like the me too thing and stuff. It's kind of like, like, for example, there's a thing that happens in comedy all the time where someone will go, they like these certain female comedians. They want to book them. They think they're really funny, but they won't put all three or four of them on the same show. Cause they're like, Oh, that's too many women on the show. They would never say that about like, Oh, you have four male comics on the show. You'd never go like, wow, too many dudes. And it's like, these are all these things now that I'm just starting to open, like over the last couple of years, you realize like, it's just different. It's different for men than it is for women. And we have all these things like a little while ago, I think it was last season, Hockey Night in Canada had an all female broadcast team. And there was a big deal made about that. Some people were like, oh, I don't think this is a good idea, whatever. And it was like, they're all professionals, great at what they do. And they just happen to have an all female broadcast team. And some people were like, yeah, that's awesome. And other people were like, yeah, I don't really think it should be like in 2020, 2019, like that shit still goes on. And I think for a lot of men, we walk around with a certain blind spot. We don't necessarily mean any ill will or whatever, but you live in the skin you're in and how your life is. But like that shit goes on every day. Like it's, it's stuff that women have to deal with. that I think men now are just starting to realize like, oh, I didn't know that was 
part of your daily existence of having to do with that shit all the time. And I'm sure for women entrepreneurs, it's the same kind of thing, like pitching an idea, being taken seriously. Like are those battles still happening for, for women in, in the tech industry and in entrepreneurship in general? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, in the world of venture capitalism and venture capital, um, in terms of investment, yeah, women receive about 13% of what's out there. And it's, and it's very small. It's a very small number. So now there's some groups that are starting in Canada to really create awareness around that and raise funds that are specifically for female founders. Right. <clears throat> but like that's going to take a long time to change completely. That stuff doesn't change overnight, right? It just takes time. And, and what happens is it just takes more women to be in front of investors. So it becomes more common. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the issue is that we just don't see enough of it. So when we see, you know, three female sportscasters together, it's unusual. Right. And, uh, and times are changing in the way that less women are having children. Um, women are having children later in life they're able to balance career and family. So you're going to see more and more women in business. You're going to see more and more women on the desk of a sports bra. You're going to see more female comedians. Um, they've always been there, but they just, you know, they, they, a lot of times put family first or, or did, and now it's shifting. Mm-hmm. Like it's shifting. And it's kind of cool to, to be part of this era where the shift is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I like being part of this era. Cause I feel like there's a lot of stuff we can, we can overhaul and change and you know, it's a delicate time too, right? Like a lot of, a lot of investors now want women in their portfolio. They want to say they're investing in a female founder, right? but you know, my issue with that is, well, don't invest in me because I have a vagina. Right. Invest in me because you like my business idea and you think I'm going to be hugely successful. Right. You know, I don't want to be a statistic like, oh, now you have 3% women in your portfolio. Right. Don't give me that. Like, I want you to look at my numbers. I want to, I want every single thing I do to be justified and validated through the numbers and the projections I'm making for this company I'm building and the innovation and the technology we're creating and the patents that we're filing and, and you know, the shit that we're doing. I want investment from that awesome. not to do with the fact that I'm a woman. And it's funny because I, I said to one of my mentors last year, he said, Christine, well, you know, what is it? Tell me what it feels like to be a female entrepreneur. And I said, well, I don't know because like <laughs> I, I was born like <laughs> this right. as compared to, I, you know, I can't tell you what it feels like to be, you know, a, a man, a male entrepreneur. I can tell you what it feels like to be an entrepreneur. Right. And I think that that is the same, whether you're man, woman, non-binary, it doesn't matter. Like, I think like if you are that person, if that your brain works that way, yeah, it doesn't matter what gender you were born or transitioned into or a combination of like, you just know that feeling of what you want to do with your life and your purpose and your role, you know, and your yeah. time on this planet. So when it comes down to that, yeah, I just want to be treated as, as an equal opportunity business and invest in, in that. Don't invest in me because, you know, yeah, I've got like a different chromosome. Or whatever. Like, right. Well, I looked at it too. The same thing in comedy. I went like, I don't want to be on a show or part of a festival because I'm black. Exactly. And they're like, well, we need a black comedian. I'm like, please tell me you selected me because you think I'm funny enough to be here. Correct. Right. 
And sometimes it works in your favor. I like, I don't want to be plus five. I just don't want to be minus five. Yeah. Can you just start yeah. me at zero like everybody else? That's all I ever wanted. Yeah. And some people will take that from you and they'll go like, well, you know why they got that? It's because they're black or like, I'm sure uh, female comedians I know get it all the time. It's like, well, they needed a woman. So token, that's why she's on. F- exactly. And it's like, you're stealing someone's accomplishment and joy in that moment and dismissing all their hard work and talent and effort because you're just saying it's based on their gender or based on their skin color. Correct. And I think it's a double-edged sword. It's like, if you get it, you're like, yay, but then someone can steal it and go, well, you only got that because it's, it's, it's yeah. terrible yeah. in a way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Crystal and I are very aware, especially me, because I tick a lot of boxes, right? Like, okay, I'm a female, I'm a founder, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I do have like kind of a, a mixed bag ethnicity, like a whole bunch of races in there. I could be mistaken for a visible minority. Like there's a lot of things going on there, but I'm very proud of all of it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you're right. I don't want to be chosen for any of those reasons. I want to be chosen because of the difference I'm making. Mm -hmm. And, and so I agree with you on that. Yeah. I feel like too, and you know, I've talked about this before, but I feel like when I went off on my own stand-up comedy wise, I had this overwhelming feeling of always being on an Island by myself. I felt like I, no one is going through what I'm going through. And even other comedians, like everyone's journey is so unique to them that yeah, things cross over a little bit with other people, but like for the most part, it's such a unique journey. And you talked about it earlier, a little bit about going through the woods. It's like, everybody's trail is completely different and there's no binder that someone hands you and goes like, okay, just follow these steps and here's your way through. It's literally you just writing this thing as you're going and it's very lonely. And I think people, especially when they learn about the inside life of a comedian, it's like, they're like, I didn't realize it was that lonely and isolating. And it's like, Oh my God, it's nothing but meals alone, travel alone, hours in a hotel room, overthinking, pondering why you did that joke you did two hours ago and why you ended the show the way you did and what's going to happen tomorrow. Like it's nothing but that. And I'm like, in talking to you too, it's like, there's so many parallels and like that entrepreneurship just in general and what you guys do, like that sense of feeling alone and isolated, you know, and how do you navigate that? How do you just get up with that and go, okay, another day and no one else is going to know how I feel. They'll know a little bit, but everything is completely unique to you as the individual. Like that's hard to navigate for a lot of people, you know? And that's why people, I think a lot of times stay in a nine to five job because you're part of a collective and everyone is in the same boat every single day. And it's, there's, there's a comfort in that. It's terrifying to go off on your own and go, okay, guys, see you later. I'm going to go and do this thing in the woods. You know, like that's not everybody. Like that's not just, just not every person. Well, now I know why, you know, it is so scary to be an entrepreneur because there is no handbook. No. And, you know, when you start off as an entrepreneur, you do have to find mentors. And I'm sure you kind of looked up to people, too, in your career. But everybody's journey is so different, like Mm -hmm. so vastly different as an entrepreneur, any sort of, you know, self-employed person. Everyone figures it out different. There's a million ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And everyone makes a combination of that million ways and figures it out for themselves, but you're not given a handbook. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you're not willing to figure shit out and get super scrappy and super resourceful, the best thing anyone ever said to me was one time this random guy says to me, he was a roommate one time before I graduated university. And I said, uh, Hey Johnny, like the laundromat, does it like, can I get, can I change up my money there? Like, I don't know how to get my, my, my $20 bill changed. He goes, Christine, come on. Like you've traveled the world, 
you're a hobo. You're very resourceful. <laughs> Hobos are very resourceful. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. And I figured it out. And like, that's kind of the analogy of my whole entire career. It's like, you know, I hate the word hobo. I don't mean any offense by that, but he just kind of meant it lightheartedly yeah, yeah. just because I traveled so much. And, uh, but it's so true. It's like, I've traveled the world. Right. I've lived in like, I don't know, like six provinces. I figured all that out. And so now I don't feel like there's anything that you just can't figure out, mm -hmm. but, but it's, it doesn't mean it's easy, right? Like you just got to figure out every step of the way. And you know, you do figure out stuff that you can hand on as, as little nuggets of wisdom to the next person. But again, like the next person's journey is completely different Yeah, a and your journey is changing organically by the day. Right. So how can anybody ever tell you how to be this entrepreneur? Um, but yeah, you just, it's, it's just like you just figure it out. Figure it out as you go. Yeah. Seth Godin always says that he thinks schools often do a disservice to the students that go there because we, we say, Hey, here's a bunch of knowledge, uh, know the answers to these questions. Here's a map on how to do it all. And if you can do that, well, we give you a grade. Now that implies you're going to go out in the world and be successful. And he often says, I think that school will be would serve students better if we just sat them down, gave them a phone and said, here, figure out how that works. Do you know what I mean? Where you don't tell them how it works. You go, no, no, you investigate through trial and error and just picking something apart and reverse engineering it and figuring it out. Cause then you're just learning how to think critically and learning how to figure stuff out as opposed to being giving all this data and information. And I think there's something to that. Well, I don't know. Like, I kind of disagree with that. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think you need first to learn how to learn. Like, you kind of have to figure out how to absorb information. And so that you're right. Like, in school, in grade school, I just think it's just a game of memorization. Yes. Like, you're just basically memorizing stuff and then spewing it out during your exam. And then you never retain it. No. But they're teaching you how to learn. And I think there's value in that. Okay. So, so that's kind of the first step of the journey. And I kind of look at post-secondary like that post-secondary is not for everybody. And I understand that it was, I didn't even think it was for me to be honest. Mm -hmm. I did a bunch of it, but in my undergrad, what I figured out at the end of the day was they were teaching me how to learn. And my masters taught me how to apply what I learned. Right. Very different, very different. But now I see the value of both of them. Right. And being able to apply what I learned was a whole different skill set. And but I think what you're kind of talking about is is learning how to yeah use critical thinking and understand how things work and use your brain in a different way and apply what you learn in a, at an earlier stage. And I, and I think that's important, too. I think you should learn how to apply what you what you know sooner. Right. Like, why did I have to wait until I was late 20s and my master's? No, sorry, I was 30 when I went into my master's. Um, why did I have to wait until then to figure out or, or be taught how to apply my knowledge? Right. Because that's something that could have been used in my undergrad or even if I didn't go to university, like just in life in general. Right. And, and there's a missed opportunity there in school because, yeah, this whole memorization and then just spew out on an exam what you memorized the night before yeah. is kind of crap. So why don't they teach us entrepreneurship? Why right. don't they teach us financial wizardry? Like, let's learn how to do our taxes, people. Like, wouldn't that benefit every single person in the world? Yeah, true. Wouldn't it benefit every single person in the world to learn business 101? Mm -hmm. It would. But I guess 
what I, and this is just from my own personal experience. Like when I was in school, I didn't do well in courses where it was like, this is this always this plus this equals this because I, to me, I was like, you're just telling me stuff and want me to regurgitate it back to you. Like, I don't even know if that's fact. You're just telling me it's fact. I did well in courses like in English and history where I could make a thesis and make an argument about something. Yeah. And then I could find evidence throughout history or the book we were reading to prove what I believe to be true about this book or about this historical event. Yeah. And that's where I was like, to me, critical thinking in that regard to me is far more important and serves you far better going forward than going, I have knowledge about what the date was of World War II. It's like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. But if I can go take that information now, make an argument about what this, why this war started, to me, that's that's applicable to life going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, what I just heard you say is that you don't deal with absolutes. No. And neither do I. And it's funny because a lot of creative people don't. And that's right. what makes creative people creative. Um People that deal with absolutes are, you know, it's the science, it's the scientific, it's the mathematical, it's, it's a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And I think that you prefer the softer side of, you know, things that can be debated and argued and, and so did I. And, you know, my whole career is like that too. I don't deal with absolutes. But what I'm saying too, and you're right, if science, like biology back in the day or math back in the day would have been taught to me in a way where there was room to make an argument about something. So we're going to prove something or try to prove something or what's your thought on whatever, and then put the ball back in my court to go, Oh, you're leaving room for me to just investigate and do things. But it was never done. Like science was just know the parts of the cell. And if you don't, you fail. Yeah, I was it like was binary. Well, it was yeah. like, it was black or white. It was yes or no. It was true or false. Yeah. I know it's, it's bizarre. It is bizarre to learn that way to a certain extent. And I remember learning about Pythagoras and I remember, I swear to God, I remember <laughs> being in school and they're like, this is the Pythagoras theory. And they're, and all I remember is my teacher's lips still moving and noise coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And my head went, who's Pythagoras and why would we have to know what he thinks about anything? I was oh, yeah. looking for, you're going to have to tell me more than that. I'm going to need to know who that guy is, <laughs> why he got to this theorem, what's his background. Like I yeah. needed all that to even let that information in my head. Well, yeah. I didn't just take it as like, yes, okay. I will know that inside out. I, my mind was already thinking about why do we need to know who this well, guy it's like is? Algebra and trigonometry and all that stuff. I can't remember which one's which anymore, but when they're saying like X equals Y, X always equals Y. And then, you know, times da, da, da. I don't know. Like I just found that very exhausting to be like, there's no exceptions to rules. Right. In math or whatever. And I'm like, when people go on to be mathematicians, I'm like, congratulations. That's a very <laughs> unusual choice. But your brain must work completely different than mine. Yes. And I respect that because yeah. we need it. We need all types of brains in this world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I found that very perplexing. Like, how does your brain work in that way? It was a struggle for me. Yeah. Like math and those things that you're talking about, chemistry, like, wow. Like, it was just a different universe. And all I wanted to do was, you know, make art, make right. creative things. That's all I wanted to do. No one ever told me I was allowed to do that. Right. It's funny. No one gives you, no one kind of gives you permission to do those things. You got to give yourself permission. And I think that's coming full circle to what you said earlier about giving yourself permission to do things now and not asking permission. Well, that's where it starts too. You got to yes. give yourself permission to pursue something totally different than anybody else. That's the first step in becoming a creative professional. You've given yourself permission mm -hmm. to step outside the box 
to take the the path less taken or less, less traveled. And that's a big permission to give yourself. It is. Yeah. And I think I just think about school in general. Now I'm like, art was graded. Like, so now the only thing that was completely dedicated apparently to creativity, you're even going to grade that and tell me I'm not good at that. <laughs> it's like, okay, I made the popsicle stick house too. And it's like, mm, D it's yeah. like, it's a <laughs> popsicle stick house. Like, what do you mean? Like I built it the way I built it. Yeah. So like, we yeah. wonder why kids or people grow up to think they're not creative or yeah. because we beat it. To, we beat it out of them in school. It's like, it's yeah. just sucked out of them. Like, no, you must do it this way. You yeah. must also learn this way. And that was the other thing. My mind didn't work like everyone else's. I don't think like, I just didn't let in science and math just like, yes. Okay. I, w I was always questioning it. Mm -hmm. And so I had a creative comedian's mind early in my life. I just didn't know it. I was yeah. like, well, I, where am I going to fit into the world? Cause I don't look at all this stuff. And it wasn't until I discovered comedy or the art or like stand-up comedy world of like, Oh, that's why. I was unhappy doing all those other things because I hadn't found yeah. that creative outlet to go, oh, there is no judgment. It's just do it the way you want to do it. And there is no wrong per se. Well, yeah. And, you know, it just makes me think about earlier when we talked about creativity and I, I've always been a big believer and I, and I gave a Pecha Kucha talk in Calgary last summer. And I said to everyone at the end, listen, I think everyone is inherently creative, mm -hmm. right? You've been just certain people have been told that they're not good enough at it or something happened, like you said, um, in their childhood, perhaps, and where someone told them, you know, that popsicle house isn't built enough. You get a D or that watercolor painting that I taught you how to paint <laughs> in art class. That's not good enough. And you're going to get a B minus. Yeah. And so at some point you told yourself that you're not creative, right? And so I don't believe that. Like, I, I believe that everyone is born creative. We are humans and humans just in our nature are creators and builders and, and, you know, generators just to bring it back oh, to your hey, podcast. Nice plug of the podcast. Like, All yeah. right. Yeah, Checks in the mail. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm good at this. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but no, it's true. And like someone told themselves at some point they're not creative and that's unfortunate. Yeah, because I think that whether it is, listen, it doesn't even matter what it is, whether you're like, I'm really, you know, good at interior design or painting or music or I don't know, like it could be anything, computer graphics, video, like everybody has some form of creativity that that they either haven't explored or they have explored and they, you know, there's just there's yeah. so much creativity and it comes in so many different forms and I just feel like the world needs to really lean into creativity, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. The world is recreating itself. Everybody yeah. has a chance right now in my mind to reinvent themselves. Yes. Everybody like we're, we're recreating how we communicate, recommuting, reinventing how we learn economies, education, economies, um, everything, the way yeah. we shop, the way we talk, the way we do meetings at work, the way we, do anything, build businesses. And I feel like if anyone feels like they missed the boat on creativity, it's not too late. Yeah. You can reinvent yourself pretty quick. And when people use this whole excuse, like I'm too old now, I'm 45. I'm too old. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't give me that. Like I know people, listen, there was somebody in my, in my university, when I was graduating, there was someone graduating in my class with me and he was 70 amazing he was unreal he he worked a whole career i think he worked in government or finance his whole life 
And I remember someone asked him, like, how did you end up doing an undergrad in design with a bunch of us hooligans, right? Right. He said, well, tell you what, I spent a whole career in a job I hated and all I ever wanted to do was be a designer. Right. He goes, I retired. I got a really shit, you know, compensation package because it doesn't equate to much, right? At right. the end of the day, you put you punch in all those years and retirement is not is not as glamorous as you envision your whole life. Yeah. And he said he decided to apply to go to design school when he retired so he could finally do what he wanted to do to begin with. Crazy. At 70. He, yeah, at 70. And he graduated and he was he was tickled pink when he walked across the graduation stage with us. Mm -hmm. And I have no doubt that he's probably what 83 now. And he's probably still designing and killing it, like amazing. just crushing it because he wanted it so bad. Yeah. Amazing. And so I just don't believe that people don't have creativity. That's just my two cents, but no, I, I think so too. And I think everybody, Deep down, if they could quiet all the noise from the outside world, family, friends, society, all that stuff, if they could be quiet enough, long enough, they would know what it is they want to do. Because I hear a lot of people say that too, like, well, I don't know what I want to do and I don't know what my passion is. It's like, I think everyone does. They just won't admit it because they're afraid they would not know how to do it or make it a profitable business or that they might fail. But I think every single person knows what their passion is. Like, and I mean, doesn't mean you even have to turn it into a business, but there's some people who are like, I love uh working with kids it's like okay but you go to a job every day that you hate that has nothing to do with kids but you just do that in a robotic fashion every single day because that's what you've always done and you're afraid to admit that you know what i've always wanted to open up a, a daycare center or whatever or i wanted to open up a bakery but you're like i don't know how and what if it fails i think everybody knows what their passion is but they just aren't quiet long enough to admit that that's what that is well, we're, we're influenced at an early age about what we should do, what we could do, what's reasonable, what's realistic. And I think that's unfortunate, too, because that really taints your true feelings of what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, listen, I really feel like until you figure out your purpose or your passion, like your purpose should be to figure out your passion. Yes. You know, like that should be your purpose until you figure out your passion. Yeah. Like that should be your purpose. And, um, you know, I just, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be an entrepreneur. That's not the case at all. Mm -mm. And, and being an entrepreneur, you know, side note, people glamorize it. People try to make it sound so sexy. Like when you go to Vancouver, everybody on their social media is a budding entrepreneur. It's not glamorous. It's a hustle. It's a struggle. You're broke ass for so long mm -hmm. it's so funny so like maybe someone's passion is just to be like gary v always talks about maybe your passion is just to work in like a really cool advertising agency mm -hmm. but you don't feel like you can make that jump because you just spent the past 10 years working as a, a an accountant you right. know what i mean but you've always wanted to be in that ad agency mm -hmm. but you're afraid to make that jump because what if it doesn't work out Mm -hmm. Now you got kids to support. Now you got people watching that might see you fail. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, but I do think you're right. I think everybody has a passion. It's something that they really want to do. And uh, it might just be music. It might be something that you can just do on the side. Yeah. You don't always have to go all in on stuff, right? Like you no. and I go all in and like we're just that type of person but you know it doesn't mean that if if you just take on something on the side that you're not succeeding 
Yeah. Like if you're passionate about music, like I love that. Like I just love when people are, are, are do they just love playing an instrument. They're really good at it. They don't feel like they can make a career out of it. Maybe they don't even want to, but they just want to play it on the side and play gigs here and there. That's really cool too. Yep. Because then you're still channeling what you're, you feel like you're meant to do. I agree. And then it's just a more, uh, it's a richer life for you on a lot of levels, right? I agree. I also think too, I often think about the advice I got when I was younger or even as an adult and who I got the advice from at the time. I often think when people, back when I was young, people would say, here's who's hiring or this industry is booming. Like, (laughs) yeah, but like that has nothing to do with what I want to do. That's just talking about the world outside. Like, like when I graduated from high school and that ran that time, I was like, IT. IT is booming. Yeah. And like literally half of Newfoundland went off and did IT diplomas. It was yeah. like, we're all good in IT. No one cared if you liked it. Classic, didn't care if yeah. that's your yeah. passion. <laughs> I don't give a shit. They're hiring in IT yeah. and you need to get up there. To, and it's like, we're asking the wrong questions of people. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's one thing to just have a job and I'm not, look, I don't discredit anything that anybody does and anybody yeah, who does yeah, something for, for sure. a living. Absolutely. I respect as long as you're not hurting somebody else. That's yeah. what I believe. Yeah. But like, how many people followed that thing and then went, I don't even like computers. I can't stand them. Yeah, but they're higher and it makes a good living at uh, it. Like it's ours, it's ass backwards. Same like, thing. It's like, I remember high school, they're bringing in, oh, it's going to be someone from, you know, industry coming in to talk to us today. It's uh, Nurse Jackie from the Health Sciences Center. Right. It's like, so your only examples of what you can be are like a healthcare worker. Right. Uh, a police officer because they're always recruiting. Yeah, yeah. Right, and uh, and something like oh, an IT professional or I don't know, like government was big back then and whatever. Um, I don't know. None of that appealed to me. And again, it goes back to I didn't see anybody that looked like who I wanted to be. Right. I'm not going to be that nurse. I'm not going to be. You know, I want to be the person behind the scenes that are making a nurse's job easier. I want to build, you know, right. shit that matters behind the scenes that could save lives. It's not, it's not the frontline workers. They have their own really, you know, great skills or whatever, but I wanted to be the invisible designer who was actually making a difference behind the scenes. What does that look like? Right. Cause that was like, that was never an option that we were presented. You know what? I didn't even know what that was called. We, we wrote our, our yearbook, you know, bios before we graduated. And then the ambition sentence, most people wrote down things like, oh, I want to be a police officer. I'd like to go and do this or that. Mm -hmm. I wrote down, I want to make TV commercials. (laughs) I didn't know what the name of that was. You know what the job title was. I didn't know what that was. Just you know, like I had I won like, some creative graffiti contests. I was a really great painter back then. I just really loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, no one ever told me that I could, you know, here's what a designer is or what they look like or where you would go to work. And that growing up in Newfoundland was tough, too. Mm. There was not really any emphasis on the creative arts like that back then. As a career, no. No. And no. so it's funny because my my art teacher I went to her one time. Her name was Mrs. Woods. And I go, Mrs. Woods, like she knew how passionate I was about art. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would skip classes sometimes, but I would never skip art class. Like I was there with bells on. And and one day I said to her, like I was coming to the end of grade 12 and I said, Mrs. Woods, like, I don't know, like I'm 
I'm almost finished high school. My grades were really, really good in all the courses. Doesn't mean I liked all the courses, but my grades were really great. Yeah. And so everyone said, like, Christine, you should be an engineer. You should be an engineer because you're creative. And I was like, is that my only option? Right. I don't want to be an engineer. Right. I don't want to fucking like measure twice, cut once. Like that is not my jam. Yeah. Right. Like I want to measure once and cut twice. Like I want to make mistakes. I want to be scrappy. I want to be, I want to do make weird stuff. Yeah. And um Mrs. Wood look, Mrs. Woods looked at me and goes, Christine, you can go to art college. And like, that was when the mic dropped. I was right. like, holy shit, the record scratched. I was like, what? Can, can you just say that again? She goes, you can go to art college. Like you can go to university and continue art. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> well, mind. like I was like, is this real life? Like, where, where do I go to art college? Like, is that on Mars? Like, where do I go to do that? Yeah. And she told me about like, I think OCAD in Ontario. She told me about NASCAD Mm -hmm. and I went home that day and I was like, Oh my God, mom, I can go to art school. And my mom did not look happy. (laughs) (laughs) She's She's like, Oh, um, but your grandfather's an engineer and we thought maybe you might like to Mm -hmm. make him proud. And I was like, yeah, but what about making myself proud? She's like, yeah, that'll come later. Just be an engineer for now. (laughs) Exactly. Figure all that out later. But yeah, no, it's, it's funny. And then another teacher actually said to me, it's funny how these things stuck in my head. And this other teacher who I really looked up to, she said to me, I said, Mrs. Emery, like, I don't know what to do. I'm finishing high school. I have no desire to go to MUN. Like, I didn't want to go to university in our hometown. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see what was there for me. What am right. I going to do? Just general studies and just waste everyone's time and waste my own time? Yeah. And she looks at me in the hallway in grade 12 and she goes, Christine, listen, just because you're really good at science does not mean you have to be a scientist, okay? You can be whatever you want. And I went home thinking what does that mean? Right. Like that just yeah, yeah. seems so, I don't know, like exciting, but like confusing. Yeah. What can I be if I can be anything? And so that was too broad. Yeah. But, but yeah, the art teacher really kind of narrowed it down. And then I had this fire in my soul to go to art school. And I, and I, I took like the long road to get there. Cause I went everywhere else except art school. Cause I was convinced that, you know, that's not a career where you're going to make money. Right you know what i mean so yeah. that's how i ended up on like the the five province you know the five province trail of like traveling around canada like trying to figure stuff out but anyways all roads led back to art school yeah it's so funny because i ended up going back to where i should have started with right because i listened to other people and i guess what I don't listen to other people anymore because yeah. other people are wrong. Yeah. I know what I want and yeah. I know what I want to do. And I'm like you, I don't, I'm not influenced by outside people anymore. Yeah. It's a great place to be. Like once you finally quiet all that noise, answers are real easy. It gets complicated when you're listening to other people and what they think you should do and they're whatever. And one of the things I think about quite often is like, you know, like, both of my grandparents who raised me were gone by the time I graduated from university. And I often think when I, the decision to go into stand-up comedy, the fact that I had no real parental figures left in my life, you know, you think about it as being hard and tough or whatever, but I also go, I didn't have anyone telling me that I couldn't go into comedy. I didn't have anyone saying, Oh, I wouldn't do that. Now there's not much career in that. Are you going to be a starving artist or any of that? Everybody in my life and circle was supportive and was just like, yeah, like, I guess go for it, like whatever. But I have friends of mine 
when they said they wanted to leave a certain career or what they'd studied for and then go into stand-up comedy, they had a parent or both going like, you're wasting your life. What are you doing? Why would you do that? Oh my God, this is such a, and I go, that's hard to navigate. Like when you love those people and you value their opinion and you want to make them happy and, and please them, but you know, in your heart and your gut that that's not the thing you should be doing. I never, ever had that. And I think that was a, a struck, a stroke of like good fortune for me. You know, to not have that that negative pull from someone else. So I'm grateful I had that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, my parents kind of gave up on the whole engineering thing after a while. And I still wouldn't give myself permission to go ahead and do it. Right. Like, right. I think it just depends on the person. Like, you got to be ready to lean into who you are. Yeah. And. That just takes time for some of us, right? Like it took me a while to finally get the courage to be like, you know what? I went to college. I did multimedia, hated it. That was like video editing and programming. Mm -hmm. Like you're programming from scratch. So I found myself in a, in a, in a course where two year program where I was basically doing mathematics. Right. And I was like, I'm not Barry the mathematician that I'm like, that's not my jam. And so I left there and I was like, why did I do that? And then I went to uh, Montreal, went to uh, Concordia, did product design, loved it. But then I found out that NASCAD, I could apply to go to NASCAD and, and they would take me partway through my degree. Wow. NASCAD is Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. And I talked to them and, and they accepted me and I never looked back. As soon as I found out I could go there, I packed up my shit from Montreal and I was like, au revoir, and like left and never, <laughs> never, never, ever. Au revoir. Yeah, au revoir. Yeah. I was like as much French as I could speak. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I pursued it and I ran and I ran towards, towards where I, I knew I was meant to go. But yeah, no, you're right. Like sometimes families, especially it is. So you have to be so careful what you say to your children yep. or your nieces and nephews or whoever, because when you're a person of authority or a person with power, like you're an adult talking to a teenager yep. or an adult talking to a child, you don't realize how powerful your words are. Mm hmm. And I didn't realize that until I listened to too many people when I was a teenager and it just led me astray. Yeah. And you end up trying to please all these people yeah. and end the day you're miserable, you know? Yeah. Um, so Granville, you go down this road, you're doing the anatomical models. Then you decide you are going to pivot into swabs and going down that road. So now you started down that, down that path and getting approval from health Canada and all the things. So that has been a journey and a half. I'm sure like you, when you look back on that now, did you think like, okay, this is the journey it'll be, or you just, there's no way you could have known, I guess it was like, <laughs> this is, it'd be insanity. Yeah, no. I mean, did anybody know what COVID was going to look like six months from when it started? Like no one knew anything. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID struck last year, or I guess like it was earlier this year, it feels like a lifetime I ago. Know, it does. Um, February is when the, the first rumblings of COVID came around. And I was like, oh, God, this sounds terrible. You know, like mm -hmm. at least we're making these v vaginal models and we're probably OK for a bit. And then all of a sudden it's like academic institutions are closing. I was like, oh, my God. My so business, so yeah. our whole target audience is now becoming obsolete. Like they won't even be in classrooms for a while. Right. And so suddenly the healthcare system was saying to, to everybody, especially the tech sector people, if anybody is able to 3D print 
or pivot using that technology or any other rapid prototyping to make face shields, swabs for COVID testing, um, geez, like ventilator prototypes, whatever. We need you to step forward. And I was that person, like a little uncertain, kind of like peeking out behind the curtain, like, um, I think I can help with face shields. Yeah. And they were like, excuse me, miss, can you speak up? I was like, ah, face shields. I think I can do those. And we started making those and we were like, this is a nightmare. Like we can't access the plastic. We're not meant to make face shields. And so, um, this company in the U S came forward designing these 3d printed swabs And I was like, oh, my God, yes, that's exactly what we need to do, because that's like that's what we do. We we prototype medical devices and we work in healthcare and 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 nasal swabs like a class one medical device like that is what we need to do right now. We need to bring that to Canada. Right. So I did not know anybody else bringing that to Canada. As far as I knew, I was the first person. So I went to um, some government officials and said, I can make swabs. I can make nasal swabs. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, what, what do you mean? <laughs> and I had to like show them these sw- the 3D printed swabs I could make. Yeah. And uh, and they were like, okay, well, but can you manufacture them in Canada? And I was like, ooh, <laughs> good question. Sure. And so we, anyways, we decided to figure all that out. And so we didn't have any answers to answer your question. We didn't have any solutions, you know, any finite game plan. We just knew that we could make swabs. Right. And we are nine months later. We are 32 iterations later. Crazy. We are, you know, we've passed all these validation tests through Health Canada. And, and you know, it's, and now we're going to go into clinical trials. And what started off as an idea to help with a healthcare issue has now kind of recreated our company into a whole different entity. Mm-hmm. And do I have any regrets on that? Definitely not. Cause it, you know, again, like you're just, you're learning as you go and I'm just not afraid to make mistakes anymore. Right. But part of what we do as entrepreneurs is adapt. You adapt to the changing landscape, like comedy clubs are closing right now again. Mm-hmm. And so I see that you're adapting to that. You're doing your podcast, you're doing, yeah. you know, things online and whatever else. And that's amazing. And same as me, it's like, okay, well, I don't know when healthcare institutions and and schools are going to be open in person again. So we're going to keep adapting and it's like adapt or die. The game right now that we all have to play is you adapt or you die. And I don't mean that in a fatal way. I just mean like you just got to keep reinventing your company, yourself, your skills, whatever it is. And if what you're doing is not working, then you need to move on to the next thing and, and not feel like a failure. Yeah we're able to right now juggle both things. So we're able to keep going with the women's health and also the swabs for COVID testing, but the swabs have become a, a whirlwind of innovation Mm -hmm. of dedication of commitment of, you know, like figuring out the health Canada regulatory pathways for class one medical devices. And there's no, there's no downside to it. Like we're just adding intellectual property. We're adding patents. We're adding products. We're adding value to our company. Yeah. So going back to what we talked about earlier with investment, it's like, I don't like it. I don't think it would matter if I was a man, woman or child at this point. Like the innovation we've created is, is 
is next level for anybody, yeah. you know, and I'm not just, I'm not saying that in a pompous way, like pat myself. I'm just saying like, it's pretty neat what we're creating. And I think that even if I was a guy, like I think it would still be viewed in the same, with the same lens. Like mm-hmm. this is some cool stuff going on in Canada yeah. by a small company for all intents and purposes, a startup, or I, I, at this point we'd be considered like an early stage firm because we're two years old, but like we're creating new pathways for manufacturing in Canada. Mm-hmm. We're creating new methods to use swabs with one material, like design swabs with a single material. We're designing ways to scale production of that in our own country so that we don't have to rely on importing medical devices like that anymore. Right. We're creating it so much so that I don't think Canada is ever going to have to import swabs ever again. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not just us. Like there's 10 other companies who are running alongside us and we're not over the final hurdle yet, but what we're creating is setting the standard and, and creating a new landscape for our country for the next 20 years. Right. You know, it's the amazing thing about a challenge, right? Like it, it forces innovation. Like it's like, you know, you, your company I'm sure would never have gone into this world probably had this not happened back in February and then you find yourself now on this massive journey and everything is changing every single day. It's, it's the fascinating thing I think about being an entrepreneur in general is admitting like there's a new course going, you have to make a choice and then you turn it a completely different direction. Like you're right. It happens in comedy all the time or in entertainment. You just now pivot quickly and don't lament the way things used to be. It's like you quickly just assess and you go in the other direction. And people who do that very well, I think, end up being very successful. The people who resist change and, and are kind of, well, it used to be this. And we say we we're going to whatever. It's like, you have to be able to change your minds. Have to be. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent in yeah. every single field. Yes. Oil and gas thought they were, they were good to go for the next 50 years, Alberta, Newfoundland, cross country. But guess what? Like that has changed so drastically mm-hmm. and not just a little bit. So that's the thing. Like when something crashes, it crashes hard. And if you're not able to adapt and reevaluate what else you can do, you're in big trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so this was the biggest test for everybody. Like all these big brick and mortar companies who always had all their staff in, you know, their, you know, people in chairs in offices and cubicles. And now suddenly they're forced to make everyone work from home and figure it out. And these were companies who were like, Oh no, we could never have a work from home culture. It would just never work because we have 700 employees and blah, 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 blah. And so now here we are like, you had to figure it out. Yeah. And so everything that companies were convinced was the way things were and the way they always would be has completely changed. And and that's kind of true for everything. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think being agile in business is the name of the game. And, and now everybody sees that. Right. Everybody. Yeah. You've got to be able to do it or... It's it. It's over for you. Well, look at this. We did an hour and almost 20 minutes. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and we could just keep going. Could keep going for another five <laughs> hours, but uh, there's probably other stuff to do. So uh, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs>There you go. That's it. That was my chat with Christine Gowdy. I hope you enjoyed that one. Big thanks to her for uh, 
for popping on and doing that. And uh, as I said, learned even more about her. Um, have a fantastic week, everybody. Be safe. Wash those hands. Wear those masks. Be smart. Social distance when you can. Let's get through this thing. We're going to do it. I think you can still have a great Christmas and holiday season. Um, make the most of it. Uh, pay some attention to the little things, you know, try and laugh out there too. try and find something to laugh at again. Um, watch those Christmas movies you've been dying to watch, do some baking, do, do whatever you can. Just enjoy the holidays the best you can. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks to the uh, comedy here often podcast network and um, all the folks that make the podcast possible. Um, and all of you guys for subscribing and listening every single week. I really appreciate it. Back again next week with a brand new episode. All the best. Have a great week. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye.